In the name of Jesus, uh, dear friends in Christ, Sam Rayburn, the late Speaker of the House of Representatives, uh, one morning appeared at the front door of his good friend Jim, who also lived in Washington, D.C. And Sam had heard the night before uh, the sad news that his friend Jim had tragically and unexpectedly lost his teenage daughter. So when Jim answered the knock at the door, he was surprised to see his friend, uh, Sam Rayburn, uh, also who many consider at that time the second most powerful man in the United States. And Sam asked Jim, how are you doing? And he said, well, not very well. We're really reeling here. Uh, We're in a fog. It's a shock. Um, We're trying to make arrangements. We're trying to cope. And he said, have you had a cup of coffee this morning? And with a tear running down Jim's face, he said, no. We haven't even thought about eating. So Sam Rayburn said, let me go in and whip you up some breakfast and make you some coffee. And while Rayburn was in there making the food, Jim came in and said, Sam, I just heard in the news you're supposed to be at the White House today, some huge breakfast meeting with the president and several foreign leaders. It's supposed to be an extravagant event. Aren't you sacrificing a whole lot to be here with me today? And he said, perhaps, but don't worry, Jim. I called the president 10 minutes ago and I said, I can't make it today. My staff can fill in for me because I'm going to be where I'm needed the most, at a friend's help, at a friend's house. I'm here to serve my friend today. As we continue in our Lenten sermon series, Walking with Jesus, today we're going to look at the response, the response of service of Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Judas, the crowd, and others to the life that God had called them to, the response to the miraculous resurrection of Lazarus. And we're going to look at the life that God has called us to in response to that extravagant sacrifice of what he's done for you and me on the cross. Today we pick up on our journey to the cross in our Lenten sermon series, ever getting closer to that cross from our text today that Jim read from. John chapter 12, we pick it up at verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead in the previous chapter, John chapter 11. So we're going to step back now for a moment into chapter 11. Now Jesus, up to this point in his public ministry, had done many miracles and signs. He had healed the blind. He had put words back into the mouth of the mute. He had restored the ability to walk to the lame. He had given hearing back to the deaf. He had touched a woman and healed her who had been bleeding for 12 years. He interacted, touched, and healed the lepers. He cast out the demons. He had calmed the sea, walked on the sea, fed the thousands. But now in the raising of Lazarus, his friend, he had brought back this man from life, an actual resurrection from the dead. And this takes Jesus' ministry to even higher level and greater degree of attention. And this miracle, the raising of Lazarus, also is a preview of Jesus' coming death and resurrection in the days to come. And Jesus said to Martha in that same chapter, chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, He says to you and me today, in response to the events of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? John 11.45 goes on and states that many of the Jews who had come to see Mary and Martha in response to the death and now the resurrection of Lazarus were putting their faith into Jesus. And this alarmed the religious leaders of the day. And we see in John eleven fifty three, from that day forward, they, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and the chief priests, the religious elite, 
plotted to put Jesus to death. In other words, Jesus' death warrant had just been issued. Now back to our text today from John 12, picking up at verse 2 at Bethany. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, and Martha served, and that sounds rather familiar, sounds Martha-like, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now this account of the anointing of Jesus comes six days before the Passover. The next day will be Palm Sunday. And in the Gospel of John, this account, which follows immediately upon the heels of the raising of Lazarus, really sets the stage for the events of Jesus' final week of life as he walks the way to the cross. And today we're going to look at this story of the anointing of Jesus at Bethany from John 12, verses 1 to 11, and the reactions of Mary and Martha Lazarus, Judas, and others to the life, the life that God called him to as they walked with Jesus, responding, yes, to that miraculous resurrection and Jesus' anointing as well. Let's first look at Martha. Verse 2 that we just read said she is serving. And again, as we talked about in a gospel text a few weeks ago, looked at the familiar story of Luke 10. Mary and Martha getting ready for the visit of their friend Jesus. Uh, Martha was a worker, strong work ethic, uh, task-oriented, and that was one of the ways that she served the Lord by laboring hard for him. We see Lazarus in our story. Verse 2, he was reclining at the table with Jesus. Now, back then it was a guy's world, okay? So he'd be very happy to have his sisters Mary and Martha taking care of business. And plus, we'd have to give Lazarus a little bit of slack, right? Look what the guy had been through. He'd been sick, He died. He'd been buried. He'd been resurrected. He had quite an eventful week. So I think he deserved a little chance to relax and recline and rest. And then there's Mary, who's a major character in our story today. We saw in verse 3, while Martha was serving the food at the table, Mary took that expensive perfume, that nard, and poured it on Jesus' feet. And as Scripture says, that was very expensive perfume. Nard was from a rare herb grown in the high pasture lands of China and Tibet and India, so at that time it had to come a long distance to get back to Palestine. So it was a very, very valuable substance. So Mary did a very expensive act of devotion, an act of devotion that was costly from a person, from a family of very humble means. And by anointing Jesus' feet with the perfume, It was unusual in a couple other respects. Uh, First of all, usually you'd anoint with oil or perfume on one's head and not one's feet. And also at that time, any respectful woman in that culture would not unbind her hair in public. So to wash Jesus' feet with her hair, she would have to unbind that hair and do it in front of others. Furthermore, by Mary doing that and tending to the feet of Jesus, she's doing servant's work because that's what washing feet was associated with. Mary's response to Jesus was an act of love, an act of service, an act of caring for Jesus because she truly sensed, I believe, in him that there was something special. He was her Lord. Now we've looked at Martha. We've looked at Lazarus. We've looked at Mary. Now we're going to look at Judas' reaction to what Mary had just done the anointing of Jesus, and really the state of affairs following the resurrection of Lazarus and what life was like for Judas heading into Jesus last week and his last week of life. 
From our text today, verse 4, it says, But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected to what Jesus did. Verse 5, Judas says, Why wasn't the perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Because it was worth a whole year's salary. And Scripture says in verse 6, But Judas didn't really care about the poor. Because Judas was a thief. He was a keeper of the money bag. And we know from earlier in the Gospel of John, he stole from the very treasury he oversaw. Judas was consumed with greed and betrayal. His focus in life was on his three most favorite people in life, me, myself, and I. And how easy of a trap that is for all of us to walk into each day. And if you look at the different parts in the Gospels where we get glimpses of Judas's life, it's easy to see, wow, he was so duplicitous. He was so treacherous. He was so full of betrayal. You know, he's like Benedict Arnold. His name is synonymous with that kind of betrayal. He was so greedy and so self-absorbed. It's easy to beat up on Judas, and yet I think the more we look at his character, the more I think sometimes we see our own Judas moments in our lives when it's all about us. So Judas, while others were starting to flock to Jesus following this resurrection of Lazarus, Judas, in his walk with Jesus, was laboring more and more under the guise of duplicity. He was planning to betray Jesus. And Judas, in our text today, he feigns this hypocritical self-interest toward the poor. Judas really didn't care about the poor. For him was always and only and all about the money. We see verses 7 and 8 in our text. Jesus now responds to Judas and tells Judas to stop the criticism, Mary. Knock it off. Leave her alone. And this anointing with the perfume, of course, is a preview of Jesus' coming death. And Judas, as he walked with the Lord toward the end of his life and the Lord, end of the Lord's life here on earth, more and more was far adrift from Jesus and what Jesus had called him to do and be in life. What Mary did was symbolic of the upcoming burial of Jesus. Mary did what she did as a selfless act of love. She had a servant's heart that had been transformed in her life by spending time and walking with Jesus. So we've looked at Martha, looked at Lazarus, looked at Mary, looked at Judas, and now we see the crowd. John 12, 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there, and they came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. People were curious about Jesus. But they are now also very curious about this Lazarus, this guy, the latest object of his miracle, the man that had actually been raised from the dead. Some people that day in that crowd may have believed Jesus was Lord and Messiah, but probably many didn't. Many were there with probably a variety of different views and motivations and agendas and views of who Jesus was. Now, the next day from this will be Palm Sunday. And in the verses beyond our text today, John 12, verses 12 and following, we will cover in a few weeks on Palm Sunday. But we know in the events of Palm Sunday, the next day in Jerusalem, in that crowd, there were people cheering Jesus. Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, the king of Israel. Palms will be laid at his feet. But then how quickly, five days from that Palm Sunday, six days from this anointing, those chants of Hosanna, Hosanna will become crucify him, crucify him. How hollow and support, how hollow will the support of the crowd become? How fickle and fleeting these masses that are cheering Jesus, that are following Jesus at this point will become. And in that large crowd on that day of the anointing of Jesus, within that group are religious leaders. 
religious leaders, most of which who are hostile to Jesus. And we see their reaction to Jesus and his raising of Lazarus in verse 10 of our text. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Jesus had to go, but so did Lazarus. Lazarus was exhibit A. The evidence had to be gotten rid of because much of the Gospel of John, if you study that book of the Bible, is written in the form of a drama, a drama set in a trial. And Jesus is the one on trial, and his day of verdict is coming quickly. Jesus was a threat. He wasn't the type of king. He wasn't the type of Messiah that many, especially the religious elite, were looking for. Jesus, in his three-year public ministry, had been taking them to task, calling them out on their hypocrisy, calling them out on their legalism, calling out their lack of their concern for their fellow man, the fact that they really didn't care about the poor. They didn't seem to grasp the great commandment that Jesus had given to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus had to go, and we see in verse 11 what a threat he was, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. To the religious leaders, their extreme hatred came out. Jesus had to be eliminated. Too many Jews were following this very interesting, humble, foot-washing rabbi. They feared they would leave the way Judaism was to be practiced as they saw it in the temple system. The raising of Lazarus from the dead in the Gospel of John is that straw that breaks the camel's back. In the eyes of the religious leaders, this guy must go. And they continue to set in the plans to see that it happens. And he does go. But he doesn't say gone. Praise be to God, we know how that story ends. In this final account of Jesus, in the Gospel of John before Palm Sunday and the events of Holy Week, in the anointing of Jesus and the reaction of Lazarus, we again see a variety of responses of the people, the characters in this story, how they responded to the life as they walked with Jesus. So what does that mean for us today as we live that life, that life we have in Christ, as we're called to walk with him? Well, let's take another look at Judas a little deeper. Judas was a man absorbed and focused on self-interest, selfishness, and greed. With Judas, it was always all about him. And you think about it, I don't think it's unlike the challenges we face today as we live in our culture and the times that we do. We live in a culture that wants us to believe our goal in life is just to take care of ourselves. We're marketed 24-7. It's all about us and our needs and our greeds and our wants and our plans. And sometimes when we fall prey to that, We're having our Judas moments, aren't we? We see in the crowd, we see at that time of Jesus, the public could so easily be swayed by events and people, so easily impressed, so quickly confused, so fickle in their individual faith walks with who they thought Jesus was. I don't think it's much unlike today. Look at life today in 2017 America and in this world. We can be so easily swayed, can't we, by the events of the news. We can be swayed by our culture. We can be influenced by the narrative the media like, might like to put out. We can so easily be moved as quickly as the crowds were back then. We're challenged in our faith walk as well with the Lord. Satan loves to work on us, and sometimes we're quick to be fickle as well. When things don't go our way, we may cry out, Lord, what have you done for me lately? Like the people at that time, we may be tempted to shape Jesus into the kind of God, the kind of king, the kind of Messiah that we want to meet our needs and our agendas. We can be quick to blame God when things don't go our way. We live in a time where I think 
It's quick to vent on, post, on Facebook. We're quick to tweet. We're quick to post in other different ways. We protest. We walk away when we don't get our way in life. Or sometimes when God isn't doing what we think we want him to do. The religious leaders in the elite of that day were in a swirl of confusion. No doubt in religious circles. And I think we see a lot of that today. In our own country, we see more and more Christian churches and even some Christian church bodies that want to walk away from the truth and the authority of God's word as the inspired and errant word of God, the norm for our life. We live in a culture where increasingly there is hostility to the teachings of Christ. And there's movements to try to squelch or eliminate from the marketplace of life any mention, any discussion of him who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we saw the hatred that the religious leaders had for Jesus at that time. Sometimes we feel that hate and that heat ourselves as those who bear the name of Christ. And we see in the reaction of Martha and Mary, and I think in particular of Mary, a reaction, a passion to serve, to walk in the truth and love of who Jesus was. Now in our text today and the surrounding events we've been looking at, some people at that time believed in Jesus, and some didn't. Some knew who he truly was, some were confused. Some, who, some didn't want to be any part of him. And isn't that the way it is in the kingdom today? There are people today who love Jesus in this world, in our lives. There are people who are indifferent, who are clueless, who are searching, who are open for, open for Jesus. And there's others that hate everything that he stands about. Some interesting times that we live in as we live the life, as we navigate the waters of faith, but we don't do it alone. We're powered by the Spirit, and we have that great commission. We've got that big job, and the Lord will always be with us to the end of the age to go and share that good news of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ our Lord with all whom we come into contact with every day, that they would be connected to that one true living God because we live in a time, even though we might like to deny it, but hell is real. Time is short. Hell is hot. People need Jesus. In our text today, in response to Jesus and the life he brought back in Lazarus, in response to the life of service he called us to, Mary just had to respond. And she responded in the best way she knew how. She took perfume that scripture says was worth a year's salary. Can you imagine the sum total of your annual household income? She poured it on Jesus' feet. Can you imagine taking the sum total of your total revenue for a year and spending it on one item? Say it was a meal out. That'd be a heck of a dinner, wouldn't it? Make us hungry before we're done here. Or imagine spending your sum total of one year's income on a great family vacation. It'd be quite a vacation. Now, we might say, well, that'd be pretty wasteful. And probably many people would say, but the world would say at least you were spending it on yourself for that meal or that vacation. Mary here took a year's worth of income, so to speak, the equivalent and poured perfume on the feet of Jesus. Judas thought, what a waste. Probably others, many others would think that too. But Mary was moved. She just had to respond to the love that she felt for Christ. And she did it the best way she knew, and it was extravagant. But it was from the heart. And Jesus' divinely ultimate, truly extravagant sacrifice was going to come in just a couple days. For you and me. So extravagant it would cover every person ever born, ever to be born, every sin committed or to be committed. The ultimate, most costly, divine sacrifice of love and extravagant gift of grace for you, for me, and all people. Today, let's reflect upon this. 
Are we extravagant with our love for Jesus? Are we extravagant with the love that we know from Jesus as we live out the life, walking with him, as we share it with others? Do we share it with others? Do we sometimes hold back as we live the life? Do we want to not be too lavish with it? We want to be measured. We want to be prudent. Uh, We don't want to rock the boat too much in some of the harbors that we live our life and faith out in. How to respond each day to the love that Christ has shown us. What we have in him. His love and his life. His salvation and the aroma of grace that he anoints us with. So much more valuable than a year's worth of perfume. As followers of Christ, Paul reminds us in our lesson today from 2 Corinthians 2 that we are to be the aroma of Christ, to be that fragrance of his smell and his presence in the lives we encounter, or the people we encounter each and every day as we live that life, walking with him. And you know what? We may not be able to anoint Jesus like Mary with that kind of perfume, but we can worship him, and we can love him, and we can serve him, and we can love and serve him by loving those he puts in our path. And for the times we blow those opportunities, and we all do, his grace and his forgiveness is there when we act more like Judas or the crowd or the religious elite, when we fall short and we miss the mark. Because we aren't perfect in this life, and I think one of the good news reminders of Lent is, well, we can't be perfect, we'll never be perfect, and we don't have to be perfect because Jesus is perfect. He made that perfect sacrifice, that extravagant sacrifice for you and me on the cross as we walk closer with Jesus each day this Lenten season. Let's prayerfully reflect upon what our response will be today in the week to come for that extravagant life and love that we have in and for and because of Jesus in response to that tremendous sacrifice and grace that he shows us each day. That our homes and lives like Mary would be filled with that aroma and the presence of Christ in our life, that his grace would be evident this Lenten season beyond as we live the life walking with Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.